want to start this morning by uh, just saying thank you. Thank you to all of you with, uh, with my grandpa's passing about a week and a half ago, all those that have uh, sent cards, given hugs, text messages, um, came yesterday at the visitation. Uh, just appreciate, appreciate that. You know, I'm usually in the position, the role of being that person, right, to reach out and to encourage and comfort, and it's, um, it's good to be on the other side of that, and, and I so appreciate how you've done that for me, for uh, my family, in the last, uh, last couple weeks, and so just want to make sure to say thank you for that. Uh, I, too, want to add my encouragement this morning as it pertains to hosting a student from the Basque country. Um, as Caitlin said, we've done that twice in our family. Um, there's challenge there. There's challenge in making space in the rhythms of life to bring in a, a, another person. There's challenge making space in the physical house, right, to give them a place to, to sleep and to live. Um, or there, there's challenge in terms of being intentional with, uh, with proclaiming the gospel, doing that in word, doing that in deed. Um, uh, but through it all, uh, it is such a blessing, right? There's, there's risk there, there's uncertainty there, but, but there's, there's great blessing that can come with that, you know, especially with building relationships with students that live in a context, a culture that's just very different from ours. And for me, at least, it, it causes me to see certain things through fresh eyes, you know, as I saw them through the experiences of our Basque students, you know, things that we might take for granted, but they see it for the first time, and you're like, yeah, there is a lot of beauty in that, or it is kind of cool how that, you know, how that works. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's many things that get lost in translation when going from one culture to another. Something that our culture upholds highly, another one might say, that makes no sense. Why do you do that? Or we might look at the Basque culture and See something that's important to them and be like, I don't get it. I, I don't know why. But, but there, are, there are certain things that, that transcend culture, transcend all cultures. There's, there's certain things that people connect with across cultures, across time as well. For example, the metaphorical theme of light and dark, that transcends culture. You can, you can look at, at artwork from various artists in, in various cultures across various time periods, and, and this theme of light and dark will show itself in similar ways in different works of art. Um, you see it in various works of literature, again, from different cultures across different times. Um, this is the reason a person in another culture can watch Star Wars, and they don't need anyone to explain to them that the dark side is the side of evil. Right? That, that transcends cultures, this metaphor of light and dark. And I think the reason that it's so synonymous across time and culture is that we didn't come up with it. We didn't create this metaphor of light and dark. It, it has its source in God himself. God has revealed this metaphor to us, okay? And, and so for the next three weeks, we're, we're going to be focusing on this theme of light and dark, as it's seen in the Gospel of John especially. So, so we're going to begin this morning. I, I would encourage you to open your Bible, pull it up on your phone, First uh, John chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 5. And we really have to start there because it, it sets the foundation 
for how we are to understand this metaphor. So look with me at 1 John chapter 1, um, verse 5. John writes and he says, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. And again, heard from Jesus, proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God is light. Now when we, when we read John's statement there, we, we can't think of this in terms of physics, right? God, John is not stating that God is made up of physical waves of light. It's not like you, you put Jesus in a dark room with no candle, no lights, and everything lights up, right? That, that, that's not what John is talking about here. John is drawing on this continual usage of the metaphor throughout Scripture to communicate something about the nature of God and the character of God. Now, when this metaphor is used in the Bible, most often it is in the context of talking about either truth and falsehood or goodness and evil. It's usually one of those two contrasts, truth and falsehood, goodness and evil. For example, um, I'll show you a couple examples just from John's Gospel. So in, in John's Gospel in, in chapter 8, Jesus makes the second of his famous I am statements, and he proclaims to be the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. And as soon as he says that, the religious leaders, they start arguing, well, Jesus, you, you can't be speaking truth there, right? They, they, they didn't believe that, that he could verify his own testimony about himself. They, 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 they thought that someone else needed to be able to verify Jesus' statement, his testimony. But then later on in chapter 8, uh, verses 31, 32, Jesus says, whoever abides in him will know the truth. And the reason for that is because Jesus himself as the light of the world, is truth. Jesus is truth. Light is a metaphor for truth, and darkness, conversely, is, is the metaphor for falsehood. And then additionally, light and, uh, light and darkness are used to describe good and evil. So we see this in John chapter 3. You know, that's where Jesus famously states, God so loves the world that he gave, he sent his only son, and, and he says the son was sent in the world to save the world. And then he says this, uh, just a couple verses later in, uh, in verse 19, John 3, verse 19, Jesus says, and this is the judgment, light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So, so that which is evil is drawn toward darkness. That which is true and good is drawn toward light. Those who do good in God's name walk in the light. Those who do evil walk in darkness. So... So all that to say, when, when John uh, states that God is light, he's stating that God is truth. God is goodness. When he states that there's no darkness in God, he's saying there's no falsehood in God. There's no evil in God. So it's not just that God speaks truth. It's not just that God does good. 
All truth, all goodness finds its source in God. God is truth. He is good. And, and the extension of that statement then is that, that what is true of God is, is true of each person of the Trinity as well and highlighted in the person of Jesus as we'll see this morning. In, in, in the opening of his gospel, John states that the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and this word is the true light, John writes. So all truth, all goodness are found in Jesus. He is truth. He is goodness. What God does as the one who is light is he illuminates truth for us. He reveals truth for us as he reveals himself to us. And so when we think about this letter that John wrote, the foundational truth that was being questioned and even rejected by certain members of the churches to which John wrote was the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God made flesh. Those those who accept that truth and proclaim that truth, they're walking in the light, walking in the truth. Those who reject that truth are, are called something else. And, and look with me at 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18, where, where John talks about that. 1 John 2, 18, it says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, and, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they, are, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because, there's no, because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Father, in the Son, and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So, so John states, if you look at verse 19, he states that there are those who, who used to be part of the church body who, who'd gone out from them, teaching falsehood. And Bible scholars will debate whether or not those, those uh, individuals were ever truly followers of Jesus. You know, just because a person is integrated into the community of a church doesn't necessarily mean that they have placed their faith in Jesus for salvation. And, and I believe when, when John says that, that these individuals were not of us, I think that's what he's talking about. They were among the church body, but they were not truly one of the church body. And based upon John's statements, it seems that this, 
specific group who went out from the church was specifically denying that Jesus was the Son of God. They denied that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. And that's why John states that they are antichrists. Now, we hear that word antichrist and and our, our thinking might immediately go to end times, right? Go to the book of Revelation. Now, the term or the name antichrist actually doesn't appear in the book of Revelation. Now, I believe the concept is clearly spoken about, and, and I think the, the first beast in Revelation chapter 13, it's, that's a prime candidate to be a, a final antichrist figure. But, but when we hear that word antichrist, we must not limit ourselves to that lone understanding of the concept, this one person during the end times. In John chapter 2, John writes about antichrists, plural even, not, not as a final eschatological or, or final end times figure, but as anyone who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. An antichrist is an opponent of God who, who denies the Father and the Son, denies that Jesus is the Son of God sent by the, his heavenly Father to the earth. And so those who went out from the church were, were seeking to deceive the believers in this area. And John clearly reminds the church that that such statements about Jesus are lies. Flat out, categorically, lies. John himself wrote the words of Jesus in his gospel when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. So when we think about the the implications of that, when it comes to the ability of other religious systems to bring a person to God, this tells us all that we need to know. We must not shirk away from the reality that, that Christianity is exclusive because the truth about Jesus is exclusive. There are no other ways to God. Now, our relativistic culture doesn't, doesn't like us when we say something like that, but that is the truth. Remember, God is light. He is truth. So if the Son of God says that the only way to the Father is through him, that's the truth. He is truth. He speaks truth. He reveals truth. And maybe I can say it this way. We, we cannot proclaim Jesus as Messiah and also proclaim that other religions are valid and can lead a person to God. There's no way to harmonize those two things. You know, when in conversation with someone, if they claim that their religion leads them to God, we ought to lovingly speak truth there. You know, not harshly, not, not without love, but, but lovingly proclaim truth in that moment have to be prepared as followers of Jesus to stand upon that exclusive truth. And, and, and no matter what our society says, it's not unloving to proclaim the exclusivity of Jesus. It's just not. In fact, it's very loving to be one of the few who will actually speak that truth and say, no, Jesus is the only way to the Father. Uh, the... The simple gospel message is that Jesus is the Son of God made flesh, and it's only through him that we find salvation and eternal life. It 
his life, his death, his resurrection alone that brings us to the Father. Only when we confess the Son do we have the Father. And, and, and when I say simple gospel message, I don't, I don't mean shallow, but, but simple in that there, there isn't anything else that needs to be added to that. Right? There, there's no advanced teachings or, or, or secret knowledge that only gets discovered as you move up the Christian ladder or, or, or achieve a, a certain position within a church or something like that. It, John sought to remind the, the, the churches of this. There was absolutely no need for them to move on from the gospel message that they received to something else. Um, he says in verse, in verse 24, right, right, what you've heard from the beginning, let that abide in you. He says in verse 27, right, you, you, don't, you don't need anyone else to teach you. And it doesn't mean that John's saying, he's not abolishing all teachers. I mean, John himself is teaching through his letter here. So he's not saying, well, there's no need for teachers. He's saying, you don't need for someone to teach you some kind of special or advanced knowledge. Right? You don't need to move on past Jesus. The presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives was evidence of their fellowship with the Father and the Son. And the Holy Spirit would continue to teach them about the gospel message, illuminating new depth to that simple message of truth. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, like, there's a good reminder in there for me. You know, if, if God doesn't call me to something else, and if, I'm, if, I'm, if I live what we would call a full life on this earth, and I've got decades of preaching and teaching ahead of me, I must not become bored of the gospel and, and begin to search for some new, maybe more exciting message to proclaim. Any time that thought comes to my mind that I don't need to proclaim Jesus as Messiah because I've done that so many times already. I need to take that thought captive and, and allow Jesus to remove it completely. Because the gospel message that we've heard many, many times, some of us, it's the very message that needs to abide within us. We, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be led astray by new popular teachings. It, it's that simple gospel message that we need to have within us every day of our lives. When that abides in us, we'll be abiding in the Son. We'll be abiding in the Father. And I love, I love the promise. Like, what, what does that amount to? Well, verse 25 says... Eternal life. This is the promise he's made to us. Eternal life. The truth about Jesus leads to eternal life. And, and, and like I talked about last week, not, not just life after we die. Not just that, but true life in Jesus beginning now. Yes, after we die as well, but, but now. We have eternal life in Jesus. And so John says, you know, it's this last hour, and he says... Really, we need to have our, our eyes and our ears on guard for antichrists, for those who are opposed to God, who proclaim that Jesus is not the Messiah, that Jesus is not the way to the Father. We don't want to be led astray by those things. And because of the need to discern whether a teaching falls into the category of light or, or dark, right, truth or falsehood, John gives us some direction in his letter. And we see this in uh, chapter 4 at the beginning, first six verses. Um, so I'll read those for us. 
He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So there is a spirit of truth, and that's God. God, I mean, that's why it's capitalized in verse 6, because that's speaking of the Holy Spirit, God himself. God is the spirit of truth. But there's also spirits of error. Those are real things. That's why John says spirits need to be tested. And, and when he says test the spirits, he's, he's clearly speaking about people who teach something. Test the spirit with which they are teaching. Um, he refers to the spirits of error as false prophets in verse 1. And it, it, it reminded me of, of God's words to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 13. I just want to read few verses to you. This is when the people were preparing to enter the promised land, and that land was inhabited by people who worshipped idols. And, and this is what God said to them in Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. He said, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. So God warns them of... of Situations where a false prophet would arise and actually perform a sign or a wonder. Right? It wouldn't just be the appearance of a sign, but, but from the way he talks, it, it sounds like an actual sign or an actual wonder that is performed before them. God says, even if there's a sign performed, the person must not be followed if they are blaspheming God by urging the people to go after idols. It's like, no matter how impressive that looks, whatever they did, if they are speaking contrary to what I have told you, do not follow them. Do not listen to them. You know, I think about our context today. Uh, maybe it's not a sign or a wonder. It, it could be. It could be something like that. But, but maybe more common today for us is, is the person who sells many books or, or the person who has a very large social media following or... Or, or even, even the leader of a megachurch. It, it doesn't matter what kind of external metrics seem to give a person credibility. The spirit behind their teaching must be tested. It must be. We must test it to see if what they are saying is truly from God. And verses 2 and 3 in, in uh, 1 John chapter 4 give us that blueprint. That's what John has already mentioned in, in chapter 2. 
Every spirit, every person that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that, that's from God. That's a spirit of truth. Every spirit, every person that does not confess that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, is not from God. They, they are an antichrist, as, as John categorized it. Now, that might seem too simplistic, right? And let's be honest, that, that might seem too simple. I mean, after all, couldn't a person just say, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God made flesh, and then teach whatever they want in addition to that, right? So, yeah, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God made flesh. God's not going to judge you for, for your sin. Wouldn't it be too simplistic to say, well, they say Jesus is the Son of God, but can I suggest that, that confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh means more than just speaking the words that, yes, Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, yes. To confess that Jesus is the Christ is, is also to not contradict the teaching of Jesus in his public ministry. If I'm going to say, yes, Jesus is the Son of God made flesh, and then I'm going to contradict something that Jesus taught, that's not confessing Jesus. I might be saying the words with my mouth, but I'm not truly confessing Jesus. And, and, and because the whole Bible is breathed out by God, teaching anything that contradicts the Bible is to reject Jesus as the Son of God made flesh. And I'm not talking about different interpretations of the Bible where Scripture leaves room for that. I, I'm talking about contradicting the revealed truth of the Bible can't do that and also confess that Jesus is the Son of God made flesh. As John says, those who reject Jesus are from the world. They speak from the world. The words they say come from a spirit of error, not from the spirit of truth, not from the divine words given to us through the spirit of truth. So it doesn't matter if a book is on the New York Time's bestseller list or not. It doesn't matter how many copies it has sold. If the author of the book contradicts the word of God, there's a spirit of error present there that is not from God. And it doesn't matter how flashy a website is or how many followers a person has online. If, if, if they're contradicting the word of God, there's a spirit of error present there that is not from God. It doesn't matter if thousands of people gather together to hear a dynamic speaker in a shiny building and it has church on the, on the sign out front. If, if that person contradicts the word of God, there is a spirit of error present there and it's not from God. That's why it, it, it's so important to us to be familiar with the words that God has given to us. Uh, you know, the psalmist says in, in Psalm 119, says, your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's this metaphor. Again, this isn't an actual flashlight, right? When I'm in a dark room, I don't pull this out and say, now I can see it. It's that metaphor. It's truth. God's words are a light to us that reveals darkness, that reveals falsehood. So me, I and the words that I speak need to be tested in this manner. I don't get a pass on this. Right? Do I confess that Jesus is from God by proclaiming the truth of God's words? Can't just believe every spirit. We must test every spirit, the spirit through which I speak to you as well. It has to be tested. And I think 
for me at least, this, this increases my appreciation of and, and hopefully my interaction with those who've gone before me in church history. Right? The, the passing of time has allowed for their words to undergo lots of testing. And I came across, uh, I came across this note. Um, it was the New Living Translation Study Bible. And I thought this was just so good. The note said, Therefore, union with the historic body of Christ and the consensus of teaching that began with the apostles is a sign of fidelity to Christ's work in the world. So in other words, when our understanding of God, when our interpretation of his words leads us away from the consensus of teaching that is seen throughout church history, the historic body of Christ, we ought to be wary about that. We ought to be very wary about that. Now, God, God can, God does work in fresh ways in the world, but those fresh ways will never lead us from confessing through both our words and our submission that Jesus is the Son of God made flesh. And all that that means, that yes, he was born of the Virgin Mary, yes, he died on the cross and rose again, but that his words that he spoke are also true that the divine revelation given to us through him is also true. That is all confession of Jesus as the Son of God. And you know, as, as, as we think about this, we do right to understand that, that a, a person speaking in the spirit of truth also ought to be living according to that truth, right? When Jesus talks in Matthew 7 about recognizing false prophets, he, he talked about uh, their fruit, said every, every tree that, that is truly healthy, right? every tree that proclaims truth, it's going to bear good fruit. Every tree that is diseased, every tree that proclaims falsehood, it will bear bad fruit. So, so I'm not saying this morning that, that actions don't matter, that the words spoken are the only things that matter. No, that's not true. But, but John was addressing a situation in which people had gone out from the church and proclaimed false words about Jesus. And so he's focusing especially here on testing those words, testing the spirit behind those words. And he gets into actions. I mean, the rest of chapter 4, he's talking about love, and you, know, you can't say, I love God and hate your brother. So he talks about action as well. But he's especially focusing on testing the spirit behind the words that we hear. And, and in the midst of all of that, you know, I, I'm just so struck by verse 6 of 1 John chapter 4. John says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. I think, boy, that's a bold statement that John's making there. <laughs> that, is, that is quite bold. That's confident. And, and I think John confidently makes that statement because he was, he was truly known by the church. He was proclaiming the message of the gospel that the believers had previously accepted and which had been affirmed in them by the Holy Spirit. I mean, he, he, John lived his life in such a way that his confession wasn't merely verbal, but, but it bore good fruit as well. The church has been able to, to test his words and his actions, and so I think he's confident that his life and his teaching was standing up to that testing, and that's why he wrote what he did there. Man, I, I just think, may we all have that confidence May we have that, and not, not, not from pride, not from arrogance, but, but because we're holding firm 
to God's truth revealed to us in Scripture and are bearing fruit through the Spirit's work within us. May we have that kind of confidence. And, you know, maybe you're not preaching sermons in front of a church body or teaching a Sunday school class, but, but every one of us is making truth statements about God to someone in our life. Every one of us is doing that somewhere for somebody. We are making truth statements about God through our words, through our actions. May it be the spirit of truth that fills us, not the spirit of error that comes from deviating, departing from what God has revealed to us. That's my hope, man. That's my hope for me. That's my hope for all of us, that that would be, we are filled by the spirit of truth that we can be tested, every one of us, and be found to have that spirit of truth within us. Uh, we're going to talk the next couple weeks, talk about the process of being brought from darkness into light, because we don't just start in the light, we start in the darkness. We're going to talk about the process there. And, and we're going to talk about the confirmation of being brought from darkness into light, how we know that, that that has happened within us, that God has done that work within us. But it all starts with the reality that God himself is light. God is light. All truth, all goodness comes from him because, because he is truth. He is goodness. I, I think every person on earth is drawn toward truth and goodness. Even, even if they don't, recognize that's what they're searching for. I, I think we are drawn toward that. We crave it. We were created by God, I would say, for truth, for goodness. So I would say, let, let's hear John's words this morning stating that God is light and know that what we are craving, the truth, the goodness we crave, is only going to be found in God. That craving will only be met in God. And, and if you've experienced that in your life, you, you know the blessing of it. You know the blessing of finding that in God. And if you haven't experienced that in your life, if you've never looked to God for truth and goodness, then, then I encourage you to do so. Because that's where it, it is found. Jesus has come into the world and he is the true light who gives light to everyone, as, as John wrote in his gospel. So let's look to him. Let's look to Jesus as the light of the world that he is. Let's look to him for the goodness, the truth that we crave. Would you stand with me? Well, let's, let's close this morning, coming to God in prayer, in full recognition that he is light. God, those, those words from John's pen this morning, they, they speak clearly to us. You are light. There is no darkness in you. We are thankful for that. God, I'm thankful that truth is found in you, that goodness is found in you, and that you reveal that to us, that you, that you draw me towards yourself in that way. I'm just so thankful. God, I pray for myself, I pray for all of us here that, that we would never deviate from that confession that, that Jesus is the Son of God made flesh, that he is the Messiah. 
in a world where lots of statements are made about God and, 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 and quite frankly, many of those statements come from a spirit of error. Help us to be discerning. Help us to remember that the spirit of truth will always and only proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God made flesh. That there's not truth when it's contradicted with things that Jesus has said and taught. There's not truth when it contradicts your words revealed to us. God, I thank you for that light. The words in Psalm 119 are so good. That your word's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You've given us light. God, may we, may we receive it. Help us to take it in, read it, dwell on it, discuss it, meditate on it. Listen to your spirit speaking to us about it. God, we come to you this morning, again, recognizing that you are light. I pray that you would be drawing us, each one of us, closer and closer to yourself. God, that we would not fear the light, but that we would welcome it. See the goodness and the truth in it. God, we're grateful this morning. We love you. We thank you for your work within us. We thank you for your revelation of yourself to us. We pray this in your name. Amen.